Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're going to be doing it by looking at Matthew 6. And uh, listening to all the news today, and uh, some of the news behind the news, and some of the news even behind that, uh, that uh, the Bible is really about government. It's about the history of government, the history of man and his relationships with governments. But there's all kinds of governments. There's all kinds of different forms of government. I've been on this journey for 60 plus years. I started way back, well, I, I suppose I've been on it for even longer, uh, three quarters of a century since that's my life. Uh, but uh, I've had a lot of flashbacks in the last uh, week or so uh, about some of those early days. Some of the things that occurred to me, I didn't know what they meant at that time. It'd be 30 years before some of the things that I was learning uh, at that time began to make sense. And so to tell you all the things that are going on behind the scenes, the untold story, so to speak, of today's history, the d- today's news, what's going on in the world today. I mean, we see the headlines of... Uh, Wars and rumors of wars and uh, atrocities and terrorism and and open open borders with terrorists coming across it and drugs and more people dying uh, every day than was dying in Vietnam. There's a war actually going on throughout the world today, but it's a war for your soul and your mind and and the way you think. And to give you all the information of what the enemy is doing behind the scenes, you wouldn't know what to do with it. You wouldn't know how to make sense of it. Back when I was attending St. Joseph College for most of my classes, I was actually going to a different school. I was a boarding school uh, back in the 60s. Uh, I had someone who was a close friend that was... Um, attending the Vatican II councils. And uh, that uh, friend was telling me a lot of the stuff that was going on behind the scenes. I found out more as years went on uh, in, in the Roman Catholic Church. And the Roman Catholic Church was very important to the course that religion took. Uh, when they talk, even in the Bible, actually the Bible I had in that school at that time, is sitting there on my shelf. I can see it across uh, from my desk. And uh, it's what they call the Confraternity Bible. And in it, it talks about the uh, the beast and the city of seven hills. And, uh, and the city of seven hills has always been Rome. And uh, it tells you that in the Bible they gave me to study from. <laughs> so... Uh, what goes on uh, in that institution still affects the whole world because it's involved in everything that goes on in the whole world. It, ultimately, what the gospel is about is your individual journey, your individual relationship with the truth and the way and the light. 
Do you want to receive the light? Do you want to receive the full understanding that comes along with receiving the light, receiving the truth? Do you want to know the whole truth and provide for it? And of course, Matthew's gospel was introducing people to the whole truth. It's the first gospel that we see in the Bible. And uh, it was written by somebody who we're not 100% sure who he even was. <laughs> we we do know some information about him and how he was writing. Like I said at the beginning of this series, that he was writing specifically to the Jews. But the, the Jews that were all over the world at that particular time. And uh, he put a lot of stuff in this gospel. It's one of the larger gospels. And uh, it was written because it would be of interest to certain people who would know what he meant because of the knowledge they had. And so it's back to this part that I I will talk about more in the afternoon show of some of that information that you don't, you wouldn't know what to do with even if we told you. What was going on behind the scene? I mean, we hear about things like the Great Reset. And, of course, some people say, oh, that's a conspiracy theory. But they have a website. And uh, they tell people what they're doing to the most part. They don't tell everything. There are some news groups that are uncovering more and more of the the tracks of these people and their motivation. And uh, they reveal that. But most of the media doesn't tell most of the people. And then there, there's 7 billion people in the world. And uh, what's going on with them? There's all kinds of events that have happened in the last two or three years that have affected people worldwide. And now is affecting their food supply worldwide. And there are changes taking place worldwide all over uh, the world. And uh, the solution... To all these changes and threats and confusion and chaos is the gospel. But if you just read the gospel of Matthew with your present knowledge, you're probably not going to get what he's actually talking about. Uh, I, I actually, uh, was listening last night to, uh, someone, uh, who uh, publishes all of the uh, gospel, you know, like a, you know, an audio book. And uh, I was going through Matthew 5, and then I was going to go through Matthew 6, and and uh, see what I, hearing another voice reading it to me, I thought that it would give me some maybe insight. And uh, unfortunately, I had a pretty long day yesterday. <laughs> I didn't make it all the way through it. And I woke up and they had put on somebody who was talking about the gospel. An evangelical preacher. And he was going on and on. And and uh, I was just listening to it for a little bit. And I was thinking, this guy has not got a clue what he's re- reading. There has been, over the last century or more, uh, a manufacture of an ideology related to the gospel 
as we see written in in the Greek and 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 uh, translations all over the world and the different versions, and they have constructed uh, a theology, an ideology, a philosophy, and uh, and I actually had heard several other sources in the last few days of this same distorted view of the gospel that sounds plausible simply because we hear it so often that that you had to believe in Jesus and that you had to believe in God and that if you did not denounce your belief in Jesus you'd be persecuted by the Roman government. And and the, to the man, all the apostles refused to denounce Jesus Christ. And they said he was Lord. And all they had to do was say that they were, that, that, that Caesar was Lord. And they, their lives would have been spared, but they would not say that. And so we have constructed this philosophy that all we have to do is say that we believe in Jesus. And we're saved uh, because we confess him and profess him to the end. But we profess him with our lips. We don't profess him with our deeds. And Matthew makes it clear. James makes it clear. Paul makes it clear. That if you are not following the doctrine of Jesus, if you're not pursuing it in word and deed, Even Jesus makes that very clear. Not those who just say, Lord, Lord. Yeah, he is my Lord. But those who doeth the will of the Father. That is his doctrine. That is his proclamation. And he's made it over and over again. Uh, Like I say, we'll see it in Matthew. We'll see it in Mark, Luke, John. We'll see it in the epistles of Paul. That if you're doing this, this, and this, and this, you have no inheritance into the kingdom. And worse to turn away from you. Not have anything to do with you. We're not to eat with you. And, and of course I was just listening to Epic Times just before the show began. Uh, talking about stuff in the food that you get at most fast food restaurants. They have a whole, uh, you know, where people have gone and these mothers have gone in and bought food at these different places all over. And then had the, the packages immediately frozen and then shipped to a laboratory and tested. What's in that food? What's in your meat supply? What's in your vegetables? And of course, if you watch Epic Times, they're talking about a lot of this. This is the kind of the, the, the alternate media that is giving you other information. The mainstream media won't even tell you these things. Of course, I've, I've seen it. For years and years. How people have altered their their diets and, and what they eat. And sometimes based on religious convictions that they obtain from these religious groups that have these ideologies and theologies. Men need something to believe in. Women need something to believe in. It gives them a sense of security in an anxious world. And they become faithful to their ideologies. Their idea of the truth. And they won't stray from it. 
But Christ came preaching a different truth. And he spoke with authority when he did that because he was the king. Which brings me to where we need to take a quick review of um, Matthew. Of course, Matthew 1 talks about genealogy. And they mention all very, very boring section where it's mentioning all these people, you know, 14 generations and 14 generations and 14 generations. And Matthew makes a big deal out of that. And actually, I, I just made some revelations just this week on, on that very subject. And it, I was brought to it by what we talked about last week. When we were doing Matthew uh, 4 and 5. And uh, you know it talks about the visit of the wise men. Where do these wise men come from in Matthew 2? And uh, they go to the king. Herod. And they talk to him. And Herod brings all these men who are supposed to know the scriptures. And what's going on behind the scenes. And have an insight that other people. And they say that the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. And, of course, that was common knowledge back then. And like I pointed out, Herod Antipas' mother went to Bethlehem while she was pregnant so that she gave birth to Herod Antipas in Bethlehem. Because they people knew these prophecies. Of course, sometimes knowing prophecies are self-fulfilling of those prophecies. But the, So they ended up in Bethlehem, supposedly. But then... Some writings tell us that they didn't actually visit Jesus uh, until later, until he wasn't in Bethlehem anymore. But the reality is, is there's, there's other evidence in ancient writings that these wise men visited Jesus numerous times as he was growing up. So yes, yes, the evidence that he, they were there in Bethlehem exists. And there's evidence that they also visited him later when he was in Galilee because they were supporting what would become his ministry. And that he may have even been trained to some degree. But if we just read the gospel, we don't know exactly who these wise men were, where they came from. And we talked about that. They, we often refer to them as the Magi. And there is a, a, a name that we see in Jeremiah 39, uh, which talks about Rob Mag, the chief of the Magi. And uh, Tacitus and Suetonius write about uh, these, uh, you know, 60 or 70 years later, they, they're, they're telling us about the, this group of men that come from... Uh, the East, what what would be Iran today, Parthia, and uh, they were called the Magi, and and they were also called the Magistanes, uh, who were supposed to figure out who was going to be the next king of Parthia, and you know that was a controversy going on then. We told you that at that particular time there was no king in Jerusalem. There was there was somebody who was designated to be king in Jerusalem. As Herod got older, 
he divided the kingdom into three parts and Herod Antipas was in one and Philip was in another. And then his other son was going to take the kingdom in Jerusalem, but he had that son executed. Killed his own son. Talk about chaos. And of course, that's in the prophecies that are coming up where where mothers and fathers will kill their own children. And their children will kill their mothers and fathers. Certainly at the time of Jesus Christ, the Corbin of the Pharisees was causing the sons to do no more aught for their parents. They didn't take care of their parents. They turned their parents over to the government to take care of. Because Herod had set up this system of Corbin, which was a system of old age and social security and disability insurance. That's what it was. It, it, it always was that, but the way in which the means and method that Herod set that system up with was making the word of God did not affect. We were given that system in the Old Testament, Corbin meaning sacrifice, in order to bind the people together. If you don't know that, if you don't understand that in the altars and, and what they were doing in the Old Testament, you won't understand the new. And that church I mentioned before and all the Protestant churches that came out of that church in rebellion to that church uh, has created a vision of the Old Testament based on the pharisaical view. And of course we've already gone, talked about, there were other views at that time that were closer to what Christ would teach about the Old Testament. And that's what, of course, we've been sharing with you. So, anyway, so there's a story in Matthew of Herod killing children, hunting them down. Not only Jesus, who had fled to Egypt because of a dream, but John the Baptist. He was just a few months older than Jesus, already born. And they went looking for him and supposedly killed Zechariah. Somebody killed Zechariah in the temple. Jesus mentions it later. And so where did John the Baptist go? Well, this is, this is what we're, we're seeing is that John the Baptist, uh, you know, the, the, there's a mention in the Gospel of uh, James where John the Baptist and Elizabeth are out in the desert, don't know where to go, and the mountain opens up and hides them. In a cave. And there's a story of early Christians being persecuted. And they go out to the desert and they hide in a cave. And they eat uh, dates and carob when they're in the cave. Because they could come out at night and, and collect the carob and dates from wild trees. And uh, survive in that cave. But uh, I don't think John the Baptist was living in that cave for the next 30 years. So where did John the Baptist go? We don't know where Jesus went. Or at least we don't. We don't know from the biblical text. There's a lot of ancient writings that do talk about that. But we do know that Matthew in this uh, verse 4 of Matthew 3 was wearing this raiment of a camel hair. Well, most of the camel hair that you 
I have from the one hump camel, which you find in, you know, North Africa, etc. Uh, that hair is too short. But the uh, bacterian camel, the two hump camel, that you find over in places like uh, uh, Afghanistan and Iran, uh, that has a much longer hair. And they did weave that into a coat that was, was common to be worn by Parthenians. And uh, they, they, they wove it in very thick, almost felt like that protected them from the weather, but also could protect them in battle. And they would wrap a leather belt around that coat as a tradition. Well, this week I discovered there are two different forms of the leather belt that was worn by the Parthians. And uh, one of them was worn by the high priests. And it was wrapped around their loins in a different way than the ones that were going into battle. They used it to hold their sword because they went into battle mostly with bows and arrows. And there's an actual name to that so, uh, that belt. And by mentioning that in the Gospel of Matthew, he's talking to the Parthenians. Well, who were the Parthenians? Most people don't even know, but they're the ones who kept Rome in check. Kept Rome on its toes, so to speak. Because they had defeated Rome in 53 B.C. They had absolutely, uh, totally routed and defeated Rome when Crassus brought his army over to Mesopotamia in a catastrophic results at the Battle of Kare, uh, which you can go read about and, and what took place there. I've mentioned little bits and pieces about how their battle tactics made a difference. But this is really knowing history and knowing that Matthew knew this history. And Matthew is writing this in about the raiment of camel hair and the leather belt because he's talking to Parthenians. To the people of Parthia, which had Jews living in Parthia. And there was a Christian element eventually in Parthia. And so, yeah, he's telling us this. And, and the diet of, of, uh, of Caribs and, uh, what they, they say is honey, but it's probably from date. It's what they call date honey, which is put together in a certain way. And that's what he was eating. So, if we continue with our uh, study, knowing that uh, the Matan, who is mentioned along with King David and Ferris in that lineage back in Matthew 1, are related to the lineage of the kings of Parthia which was having the same problem of who is to be the rightful king. And so Jesus was not just the king in Jerusalem when he was hailed as the highest son of David. According to the writings of Matthew, he was the rightful king of Parthia, where Christians would go there and claim him as Lord. Now, there may be other lords going on, but we'll talk more about that in the afternoon show. We'll get into Matthew when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom after a brief break.
book of Back to the Keys of the Kingdom. So anyway, the there are other references and other uh, writings of the times that talk about that particular belt, uh, that girdle that they talk about as uh, in the Aramaic, it's Himian. Uh, it's a priestly girdle. And if he was wearing that, that would mean something to everybody in Parthia, that he was literally a high priest class of individual from Parthia, gone back to what was Israel and preaching the coming of another high priest that was to come after him, which he believed was Jesus Christ. And of course, he was executed, so whoever he had named as his successor would become the successor to him. But at the same time, Jesus is going to become the king of Judea. And he has the same lineage because we have the same uh, lineage of John the Baptist as we do Jesus Christ, except for the fact that John the Baptist... uh, you know, mother was Elizabeth, but her grandmother was Saba, who was the sister to Matan, who was the rightful heir to the throne in uh, what we uh, would have called Parthia at that time. So, yeah, both these men held a high places both Jesus Christ and John the Baptist in Parthia. And Parthia was something that scared Roman legionnaires. Because a large contingency of Roman went there in 53 BC, Crassus, and they were annihilated, absolutely annihilated by the Parthian army. Now eventually, Romans would, Parthia would undergo a lot of chaos and upheaval. And Parthia would be uh, conquered in 113 A.D. by Trajan. And he would put uh, uh, a Partha Maspet, uh, what they call anyway, but he would be a client ruler on the throne in uh, Parthia. But people were already reading the Gospel of Matthew. People are already in another government. And so that the Roman taking over that government that it conquered didn't take over all of Parthia. There was a Christian contingency that was following another kingly line, which was King Jesus. And Matthew has laid this out that so that Parthia and Parthians who lived there, there was dual governments often going on. Like the government of Herod and his Corbin set up through the Pharisees. There were men who were not registered in that government and didn't pay their tax to that government. They were a part of another government. This is one of the things. Jews could live in Rome and be a part of the government in Judea. And they would pay local taxes, but their Corbin tax would be sent all the way to Judea. 
And you could do the same in Gaul and Corinthia. And Corinth was very common because back in, the, you know, 40 or 50 years before Rome had destroyed, you know, before the, even the birth of Jesus Christ, Rome had absolutely leveled the city of Carthage, sold, killed all the men, sold all the women and children off into slavery. And it was Julius Caesar who decided to uh, repopulate that city because it was strategically located. So it was populated by all kinds of people that weren't Corinthians. They came from all over the world. And they still had their social safety net connected back with whatever country they came from. Now they could change that. But everybody was expected to be a part of one of these social safety net systems. We just had this uh, attack in in Israel and Hamas. And and, uh, there were Americans trapped on the other side. People are trying to get them out. And uh, all those Americans, they have a social security number. And uh, they may even be getting a social security check. While they're there, and they're, if they make money, they, they will pay their taxes through the use of that social security number because they're registered with that system. Well, this was going on in the time of Rome. You would be registered with this system. You could be registered with the Temple of Roma. You could be registered with the Temple in Jerusalem. But as many of the Essenes would not register with the system of Corbin of Herod and the Pharisees. They had their own system. But their system was still based on charity. It wasn't based on a forced offering. If you don't know that history, to tell you the gospel, you won't get it. Because Jesus was bringing another government into play. That Matthew is about that government. He's about that king, about the high priest. Of course, if you don't know that high priests and religion, I mean, just 200 years ago in America, religion was the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. Your duty to your fellow man was to love your fellow man as yourself, to care for him. If he fell on hard times, you're supposed to help him out. Not in a way that would weaken him, but in a way that would maybe get him back on his feet and strengthen him. You know, he fell off a ladder, broke his back, financially destitute, his family's going to starve. Well, you got to help him out. That's religion. That's how, that's what religion was about. And now it talked about gods or a god or, you know, what is right and what is good and what is evil. But religion itself, threskia in the Greek, was what you did for your neighbor. It, unspotted religion was the care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society without the system of public religion. It's unspotted by government religion, government systems of religion, which is like Social Security. Social Security is a religious institution, a public institution that takes care of the needy of your society. So therefore, it's religious in that sense because that's how you fulfill your obligation to your neighbor. 
of taking care of your neighbor when, you know, has a car accident. You said somebody that we know had a, you know, was rear-ended by a drunk driver. They didn't do anything wrong. They just got rear-ended. He just crashed into them, injured them. My son was one of the first people on the scene. The reality is, who's going to take care of those people? Who's going to provide for them? Well, I, I, I'm not sure. Is there not a part of his holy church? <laughs> but they may have a social insurance, not through their church. They may have it through the government. And this is this was a controversy too, both in Parthia and in, in Rome, and certainly in Judea. Because this system of Corbin set up by Herod and the Pharisees was not very old. It, it's what financed the building of the temple. But like I said, Herod also started the Temple of Roma, which was almost the identical system, but with different statues, different images, different ways of talking about the virtues of society. But it bound all those people together because they registered either with Roma or Jerusalem. Or they registered with other polices. What we would translate as cities. And this is why I mentioned earlier when we talked about Nazareth. And I have an article up that Nazareth was not an actual town. But it was an actual polis city. You could live in all kinds of different villages and be a part of the polis of Nazareth. And that was a system of social welfare. If it was run by the Essenes, then it would be based on free will offerings. If you don't know these tidbits of history, when you read these things, you'll think, well, he went to this small town, Nazareth. Nobody can find it. You know, there's some people speculate as to where it might have been, but if you go back to the writings of the time, it's not mentioned. I mean, we have censuses where they go and they count. We know how many people were living here and how many people were living there. (laughs) But we can't find Nazareth at that time because it wasn't a specific town. It was a group of people who were a part of a system of social welfare based on charity. Run by the Essenes. And it talks about, Matthew talks about Jesus leaving Nazareth. So we also talked about how uh, Jesus was rich. But he goes to John the Baptist, gets baptized. John the Baptist at that time think that Jesus is going to take his place as high priest if something happens to him. But then later on he finds out that he's going to be the king and he has to send messengers to Jesus to ask him, are you the one? Meaning both priest and king. Now this means something to Parthia too. And Matthew is writing about it. And he's telling about it. And and we know that John the Baptist is connected to those priests and the Magi. And Jesus was connected to the Magi because we see the Magi visiting him more than once. Only mentions once in the Bible and not in every gospel. 
But we see in other writings that he came and they came and visited him again. And of course they worshipped this guy, which meant they supported his kingdom. But then later on Paul tells us that Jesus was rich, but he made himself poor in order to be this ministry. And we'll talk about why he did that. But he was putting everything he had into his ministry, which was taking care of the widows and orphans and needy of their society through faith, hope, and charity. Remember when we talked about Julius Caesar? Julius Caesar made millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars destroying Gaul, murdering the men, selling the women and children off into the slave markets that he had set up. He had once been the high priest or a, uh, of the temple of Jupiter. And now he was funneling all that money back into the temple of Jupiter, which was funding the daily bread, the welfare system of Rome. Because Rome was now becoming accustomed to living at the expense of others, in this case the Gauls, and had a habit of receiving benefits at the expense of others, again, in this case the Gauls. And they were becoming perfect savages. As prophesied by Polybius 140 years before Christ was born. Maybe 150 years before Christ was born. If you don't understand how this all works together, but this is what the Bible is talking about way back in Proverbs, when it warns you about the dainties of rulers. It warns us back in the days of Moses. You shall not covet your neighbor's goods. That means even the guys in the country next door. There was actually fear of killing Jesus because it might invoke the wrath of the Parthenian army. Because they were hearing about Jesus. They knew about John the Baptist. If you read in the Talmud, they talk about this belt that John the Baptist wrote. The the Hemian, H-E-M-Y-A-N in English letters, is an Aramaic version of the Abnef, which is the actual Persian version of that belt. So all this is tying together and you don't necessarily need to know all these details. But know that this is an actual government that Jesus and John the Baptist are preaching. With different bonds that bind the people together. The the social bonds of faith, hope and charity. Because their religion was based on free will offerings Herod's religion was based on forced offerings. And other religions, uh, the Temple of Roma, they're now they're forced, but you have to sign up. Once you sign up, then they're forced. Somebody was, I shared it on my YouTube, uh, Brother Gregory, uh, page. Somebody was talking about the 16th Amendment brought in income tax. That's already been settled in court that it did not. In the gotcha brief, it's it's about an inch and a half thick. Somebody sent it to me when a patriot group, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago was taking it to court. 
saying that the 16th Amendment, da, 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 finally, I, I read it, immediately wrote a letter to the organization that sent me the brief. And I said, the judge is going to tell you that the the income tax has nothing to do with the 16th Amendment. Individual income tax has nothing to do with the 16th Amendment. And they, I got a letter back months later from them saying that my letter was prophetic because everything I mentioned in the letter the judge mentioned. Because they, these were lawyers putting this huge brief together, well put together. But a couple erroneous uh, observations that they made took them down a road that cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars, years of time. People went to jail <laughs> eventually, lost everything they had because they were following a path that was not entirely true. And people are doing it with the Bible all the time. They don't know the details. But you don't really have to know the details. I mean, maybe individually God wants you to know the details. He's been showing me the details for half a century and more. But what you need to do is change the way you think about religion. Religion is how you take care of the needy of society. It's only pure religion if you don't use force of men who exercise authority one over the other. This is the division. There's only one denominator of Christianity, and that's Christ. There's thousands of denominations, but that's not real Christianity. It has bits and pieces of the truth, a lot of good ideas and things in it, but it's not the whole truth. And therefore, you can't provide for the truth unless you have the whole truth. So anyway, when we went on in... Um, Matthew 4, we did the temptations of Jesus, and I have an article up that goes into them in more detail, that were to worship God, and the way you worship God is pure religion, and it's not about singing, it's not about giving money to somebody who's worth 10 million or 25 million dollars, it's about sharing with the needy. In order to do that, the Levites belonged to God. They had no inheritance in the land. They owned all things common. And of course, if you read the early church fathers, they will tell you that the early church ministers took the place of the Levites and the performance of the the social network of pure religion, the social safety net of pure religion where everybody cared about their neighbor as much as they cared about themselves. But if you think religion is your particular ideology or philosophy, you're probably an idol worshiper. What is idolatry? Covetousness is idolatry. Desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor through men who exercise authority one over the other is in opposition to the doctrines of Jesus Christ which we see, we will see in Matthew. And it is, according to Paul, idolatry. And that's what most of these religions now do. They get you 
to chant to your ideology or your image of Jesus Christ that has been formulated in your mind by theologians, but you actually go to men who exercise authority by taking away from your neighbor to provide for the needy of your society, which is the antithesis of pure religion. And it is not worshiping God, but it is worshiping the small g gods of the world. Because that's who you serve. With your labor, with 20% of your labor, with 30% of your labor, with 40% of your labor, whatever. And your country, your status, etc. You're in the kind of government that is in opposition to the government preached in Matthew. By Christ. By John the Baptist. He tells you. If you have two coats and your neighbor has none, share. Do the same in meats. And if you were doing the same in meats, those meats might not be contaminated by those who are pulling the strings and controlling the destiny of the world today because Jesus' kingdom is not a part of that world. But what it is a part of is a network of people who care about each other even those they know and don't know as much as they care about themselves. Which puts you in a spiritual dynamic in which you might have dreams and you might have visions that will tell you where to go and where to be when the chaos hits the fan. But anyway, so in Matthew 5, we saw the Sermon on the Mount, which is the it is not the uh, blessed, 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 but the happy, 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 happy. <laughs> because the word there they translate into blessed is the word for happy. Happy is he. Happy is he who does this. Happy is... And then I pointed out also the very first one. It says, uh, happy is the poor in spirit. We had this conversation with the ministers this week. Uh, that we're asking about that because many of the translations don't put poor in spirit. The Greek clearly states poor in spirit. But many of the translations just say happy is the poor. <laughs> but no, being poor don't make you happy. No, it's it's not the way it goes. And so you need to, but they want you to think being poor. Is what that that that's what they're talking about? But they're, they're talking about having a spirit that desires spiritual fulfillment, not ideological fulfillment. This is very important to have that desire for actual spiritual awakening, not an emotional stimulation. And so, that's what they're talking about when they say poor in spirit, beggarly in in spirit. And I've added to those pages so you can take a look at that. But then he starts a long list, which we're going to get into in 6, of the decrees of the king about anger, about lust, about divorce, about taking oaths, signing under penalty of perjury, about taking vengeance and the nature of these things. But we'll cover all that in the next part of Keys of the Kingdom. But the last thing he says in 6 is love your enemies. Because that is where you're going to win against your enemies. 
because you have to have a certain kind of love, which is the love established by Jesus Christ when he writes upon your heart and upon your mind with the Holy Spirit. And that's where we all need to go and we all need to find out what that is. And knowing the details of the gospel may lead us into that understanding of the keys to the kingdom. Because the early Christians fought with a different kind of arrow than were found in the bows of the Parthians. So anyway, we'll talk about that when we come back to Keys to the Kingdom after another brief break. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we uh, looked at uh, the those other chapters that brought us up to this point. We see in uh, chapter 5 that there he's... The king is now setting the scene for what the kingdom is all about. Matthew is, well, like we said in the original when we did those, that Matthew puts a lot of things out of order of their actual events. The Sermon on the Mount was actually much later. But we start with that because it was a good outline of what his kingdom is like. When I tell you that Jesus was preaching an actual physical government that would exist at that time, that would have at its center a temple made without hands, that temple made of living stones, he was talking about a republic. And early historians, and historians even uh, uh, Gibbons refers to the early church he wasn't very fond of what was existing at his time as the church but the early church was a viable republic in the heart of the Roman Empire it was a republic that Tacitus could didn't believe was possible and it was not possible with the people of Rome at the time that Tacitus was writing because Tacitus did not see the degeneration of the Roman people through that, that man who destroyed Rome, which was, well, in essence, Julius Caesar. There were other guys doing it, but he did more to destroy Rome than anybody else. Yet, historians will tell you that he, he made Rome great. But he destroyed the Roman people, which Plutarch writes about. That he, he spread amongst them gifts, gratuities, and benefits provided at the expense of their neighbor. Do you know any other governments that do that? Do men who exercise authority take away from one class of citizen to provide for another? No, that's a different form of government than what Christ was preaching. Christ was preaching this one that had people who were seeking the truth. And the whole truth. And loving their neighbors. And so in this. Is a continuation. In chapter 6. Of those decrees. That Matthew started. After his. When he was telling the people. That you'll be happy if you seek mercy. You'll get mercy. And if you that if you have a, a, a spirit. That desires to know the whole truth. 
that yours is the kingdom, that uh, he was laying out this spirit, outlining the spirit of those who would be citizens in this government of the people, for the people, and by the people. That was a libera res publica, where the people were free. And, of course, this is what Christ was doing, is setting the captive free from their sin of coveting their neighbor's goods, which had been started 100 years earlier, 200 years earlier, uh, by uh, different emperors and by the proconsuls and etc. that went before the emperors. But now he's he talks about, in the beginning of this chapter, which is, of course, Matthew didn't write in chapters. These are chapters that are created. This is just a continuation of five. And he says, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Well, this this covers several different things. This idea of alms, of giving alms, uh, which has to do with in the Greek, iliomosin. Which as we create the word element, eleemosynary trust, which is social security is an eleemosynary trust, and uh, because of the fact that you know even the word alms that we see there, it does, you know it sounds like you know give you change, you know in uh, in fifteenth sixteenth century English that giving of alms is like giving of money. But uh, Thayer's definition of mercy, pity, especially exhibited in the giving of alms, charity, benefaction itself, a donation to the poor, because it was it was a donation for the needy of your society. So it wasn't just like, you know, giving, you know, I, I gave 20 bucks to the Red Cross. No, this is the way in which your society is benefited. It is the, where you create the bonds of society. Uh, but I thought it was interesting they refer to it as benefaction itself. That's what the word inamosune in the Greek means. And uh, it, it requires that you have compassion because it's a choice of giving that. But if there's an accounting... You know, through the scribes of your giving, or, or if you give, you know, like a, a big donator or something, it makes the word of God to not affect. It has to be a choice out of that love. See, there's the love where you want something. I love chocolate ice cream. I love this thing. I love this, this gal, this guy. Because you want something from that relationship. I love going to this church. I love their music. That's wanting. But the love that we're talking about is giving up life. Laying down your life. That's a different kind of love. And it is that kind of love, if you cultivate that love, that will be the arrows of the army of God. That will be like hot arrows, fiery arrows. In the heart of the enemy. It will stop them. Uh, I can say stop them cold. But it will stop them anyway. <laughs> and this is what he's talking about. Is this almsgiving. 
that you want the almsgiving that is based on sacrifice of choice. Because that's how you get the reward of your father. That's how you get the arrows of your father. That's how you get the power to heal. Your your power to to stop the enemy in their tracks. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound the trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand is doing. The right hand is the sword. The left hand is the left hand. <laughs> so what the idea is that you don't use force. And, and of course that's exactly what John the Baptist was saying. That in taking care of the needy, if you have two coats... If, if they need money, if they need uh, food or whatever they need, do it by charity, not by force. Jesus is saying the same thing and they know Jesus is saying the same thing because they knew what John the Baptist was saying. And they also knew what Herod was saying. No, no, if you sign up, we'll make sure everybody gives their fair share. And the Pharisees went along with this because the Pharisees believed in an ideology that modern Christendom has accepted that it's okay to take away from your neighbor as long as you do it through government. Even though government is the benefactors who exercise authority one over the other and Jesus told us not to be like those men. But when thou doest alm, don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing or vice versa. You don't mix the left and right hand sides of government. You leave the choice in the hands of people. You don't force the offerings. That thine alms may be in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Because you're making the choice. You don't have to file a report. You don't have to. That can be put on display. (laughs) You don't want that kind of credit like the hypocrites that you give because you choose to give otherwise you become a member a person a thing no longer a man I'll put links in that will show this uh, you know where people throughout history have known these principles but they don't teach them in the modern church and when thou prayest Thou shalt not be as a hypocrites are. Now, pray us. That's apply for benefits. See, you in order you have to fill out a form when you give to the governments of the world, and, and you have to have because you're registered with them. But now you want to apply for the benefits. You have to apply for the benefits that come from being a member. Of that public religion. So when you pray as thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. Right away Jesus talked about hypocrites. Or at least in Matthew. For they love to pray standing in the synagogue and in the corners of the streets. That they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you they have their reward. But thou when thou prayest enter into a closet. When thou hast shut thy door, 
Pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Now this is, we're also going to see where Jesus says, Call no man on earth Father. But he's, but your Father in heaven, he's talking about, he's making this distinction between, like we said, he was called the Son of God, the Caesars were called the Son of God. Caesars were called the Father of the people. And Jesus referred to the Father in heaven. He says, but when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathens do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask. He knows what you need. You don't even have to ask. Your prayer should be, thy will be done. And then he goes in verse 9, and after this manner, therefore pray ye. And this is a manner. This is not a, this is not something to recite over and over again in endless repetition. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Everybody hearing him say that knows that the emperor was referred to as the Father, Patronus, our Father who art in Rome, who was sending shipments of grain to Israel, to the temples in Israel, to be dispersed amongst the poor and needy of Israel, of of Judea. And he was known as the Patronus, the the, the father, and the, all the senators were the conscripted patries. That was another government. Jesus is talking about a different government that operates by faith, hope, and charity. And he says, Our Father who art in heaven, this is your prayer in your heart, not endless repetition of words. Thy kingdom, thy government comes. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So it's not just in Judea, it's in Parthia, it's in everywhere. Give us this day our daily bread. So they're praying for their social welfare check. That they may need their disability check. That they may need their daily bread or a coat or housing or whatever. They're praying to God for those things. They're not praying to the gods in Rome. Uh, they're not praying to men who exercise authority one over the other for their benefaction. Which is back up to that emulsionary trust. They're not applying to that because that's based on force. And then he says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now the whole world is in debt. And, you know, all these systems of social welfare, all these social safety net systems that are created in the United States, Australia, England, China, China's in debt. They're all in debt. They're playing a massive game. You know, a shell game of who owns what. And there recently were some things that just took place way behind the scenes. One of our ministers pointed it out on the minister group. 
And yeah, it's it's opening a door, but not for us. It's opening a door for the Great Reset. <laughs> so, uh, but we won't talk about that now. We, if we have call-ins on the afternoon show, we may talk about that. And he says, "Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors." People can't let go of the fact that they paid into a system that is bankrupt for. 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, and they say, well, I have an entitlement now because I paid in. Everything you paid in is gone. All these governments operate on debt. You have to forgive the debt for your debt to be forgiven. That's very essential. But I don't tell you to do that without offering you a replacement, and that's what Christ is doing. And then he, he follows it with, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, Jesus was just in temptation shortly before this. And one of them is to turn stones into bread. Can we turn our neighbors into bread for us? Can we covet our neighbor's goods? Can we go to men who exercise authority and say, take away from our neighbor? So that we can have more free stuff. Can we do that? Not without the consequences of the wrath of God. So then he goes and repeats this idea. For if ye forgive men their trespasses against you. Your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses. Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. What are those trespasses? It's when you make men of authority the benefactor of your life. And you give them license to take from you when you give them license to take from your neighbor. And that wasn't the 16th Amendment. It was when you gave them license to take from your neighbor to provide you with benefits. Plutarch said it. Polybius said it. When you become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for your livelihood on the property of others. And institute the rule of force. Which is what Caesar was doing. It's what FDR did. It's what LBJ did. We will force those that have to give to those that don't think they have enough. And we will become the gods of that relationship. We will rule over it. We will control it. This is the antithesis of God's gospel of the kingdom. And everybody has gone pursuing it because they lack knowledge. But now you're getting that knowledge. Now you have a choice before you. Do you seek the kingdom of God or do you continue to not forgive those who have trespassed against you for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years and coveted your neighbor's goods and coveted your goods? Do you forgive them? Because you need to forgive them to be forgiven your part in that and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now he says, moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Now fasting, there's all kinds of reasons for fasting, health reasons. But when you give your alms, You're fasting from the right to choose how to spend it. You're taking what you could have decided how to spend it and giving that power to another. 
Hopefully you're giving it to people who understand the gospel and and know the difference between the gifts of Sodom and the gifts of Christ, the Corbin of Christ and the Corbin of the Pharisees. But you're fasting from the right to choose how to spend that money. You're giving it away. You're giving it up out of your control. It's become then that burnt offering. And so, you know, but thou, when thou fast, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So this is the same thing we saw with the alms giving. Same principle is that our Father is invisible. This is one of the things that uh, our God is invisible. This is what the Christians were most often persecuted as atheists because they had no God. They had no, where's your temple? Where's your treasury? Where's your system of social welfare? Because everybody has to have one. And of course, uh, Justin the Martyr wrote, he says, well, we do have one. We meet every week and those that have extra share with those that don't have enough. So we don't need a temple because we don't have a huge treasury that we're filling up. Jesus will talk about that as well in Matthew. We don't have a big treasury where thieves and robbers can break in and steal it. Our treasure is in the kingdom of heaven. It's in all the people we invested in. We helped this guy out when he had an injury, when he when he got sick and when her husband died, we helped them out. We helped their kids out. And so they want to stay a part of the kingdom. But they don't have to because they're not, they didn't take an oath except to our invisible God. And God knows whether or not you're really generous. You can look generous. That's what he's talking about. The hypocrites who want to look generous, looked about you know, like I mentioned, Billy Graham. I could mention a lot of on our on our page was Jesus Ridge. We have a list of, you know, not to make a list, but just show you an example of all the preachers who are worth millions and millions and millions of dollars. But they're but they they did not like Jesus. They they were not rich and made themselves poor to take care of the needy of society of their of the people that go to their church. They made themselves rich by sending those people to the men who exercised authority for their benefaction rather than create a religion based on faith, hope, and charity. They say they have faith, but they they go to men that use force. They say they have hope, but they depend upon entitlements. They say that they are set free from sin, but they have gone under fealty and they're back in the bondage of Egypt worse than the Israelites were in the bondage of Egypt. And then they wonder why there's chaos in the world, why there's war, and why there are rumors of wars. Wait till the earthquakes start. Outside it's very dark because there's a solar eclipse. Lay not up your, uh, for yourself treasures upon the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt. 
and their thieves break through and steal. There's no money in Fort Knox. There's no gold in there that belongs to you. That the treasures are, were in debt. They tell you every night on the news that you're in debt. You want to be forgiven that debt? They're not going to forgive it. But if you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and forgive them that debt and create an alternative system of a temple made without hands, doesn't depend upon force, but depends upon learning to love one another in a network of pure religion, then you will be set free by the things that are already starting to take place behind the scenes and those yet to come. But it says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. Single on what? That you've, you know, you're seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. When you, the more and more closer you get it to that, the more and more your heart will become single-minded at seeking the kingdom. You're not seeking vengeance. We covered that in the past chapter. You're you're not seeking power and control. You're willing to forgive, that, which we see here, including your enemy. So, but if thy eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters. And that's where we need to go when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Okay, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're looking at uh, this uh, Matthew 6. And we're down in the the verse uh, 24. No man can serve two masters. And, of course, people are trying to do that. And, of course, this is right in the same section that is talking about being this single eye. Therefore, thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. In other words, the more you move from one master, which very clearly everybody has across the entire world today, they have the master of their government, because they're all back in the bondage of Egypt again, where their labor is not theirs, but they are, they have to give a portion of their labor to the government, and the government then turns around and becomes the benefactors who exercise authority one over the other, which the kingdom of God is not like, and which Jesus' kingdom was not a part of. That when he says, my kingdom's not of this world, he was talking to Pontius Pilate, who had such a system, of government, and the word he used word there was a word that meant constitutional order and system of government. That's exactly what it says in the concordance. It wasn't that it wasn't on the planet, it was at hand. But it operated differently, with different results. So those, when Paul is preaching to Christians, they've already made that transfer from one master to the other. 
And this is why Christians were persecuted is because the the Son of God in Rome wanted them to admit that he was ahead of the social safety net of society. And they were saying, no, we've repented of that social safety net. And now we're going to take care of one another with almsgiving based on faith, hope, and charity rather than force, fear, and fealty. We're not going to take any oaths or sign anything under penalty of perjury to be a part of your system. Now, if you've already done that, you have to probably be kicked out of that system because you're a surety for debt of that system, which every night on the news you know that that system is in debt. And so, therefore, you are in debt. But Christ has a plan. So you can start to move towards that kingdom. Seek that kingdom by sitting down in the tens, hundreds, of thousands and starting to take care of one another through charity instead of the force. That's what John the Baptist was setting up for the coming of the new king. Although he didn't even know that it was his own cousin who was going to be that king. And high priest. So now he can change all the laws. In Judea. And in Parthia. And actually in other places too. But we won't get into that. Matthew just makes a reference to Parthia. <laughs> with with his references to John the Baptist. And what he's wearing. And what he's eating. And, and the Magi. And all that stuff. He's tying the Parthians. Into the gospel. So, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or else you will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And recently I I posted a few things on mammon because somebody asked the question about if there's an unrighteous mammon, is there a righteous mammon? And of course we just talked about that, where we don't have our mammon in a treasury. The same word for Corbin is also translate when it appears in the Bible it's also translated treasury. There's another word for treasury in the Greek which the Bible also uses, uh, which is gastaphone, but Corbin is actually translated into treasury as well. They have a central treasury where they deposit all their funds. Well banking is going to collapse. That's one of the things coming up sometime after the eclipse. <laughs> so anyway, uh But if you have a network that is based on this love, faith, hope, and charity, and a way of connecting everybody in that network, and there's numerous ways which I won't talk about where that can be done, then your treasure is not in a central treasury like the golden calf. Your treasury is in the pockets of everybody who is a part of that network. But what binds that network together is that love of Christ, that desire and willingness to lay down your alms freely. It it, it really is a system of faith, faith because you have no guarantee. It is those who walk in faith that would live according to this system. It's what Abraham was setting up. It's what Moses was setting up. Your gold and your silver was to be in your purse. But you were to freely give by charity, free will offerings. 
If you're not doing that, if you're depending upon the men who exercise authority one over the other, you're depending upon the unrighteous mammon. If you want to re- depend upon the mammon of Christ, you have to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and do what Christ said. And we'll, we'll talk about that a lot. But therefore, it says here in verse 25, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought of your life, what ye shall eat, and what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on it, is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment. Well, that that can you can hear that in the modern churches where people are talking about you know, what clothes they wear and all this stuff. But really what he's talking about is not being anxious about these things. And I tell you, uh, and I'll make reference to it probably more in the afternoon show, uh, that uh, you the same part of your brain that becomes anxious is, is the center of anxiety in your brain. Is the same part of your brain that is activated when you are appreciating something. When when you're filled with the thoughts of appreciation, which would be the thoughts of thanksgiving. Uh, being thankful for the opportunity of giving to somebody else. You can't be anxious at the same time because they occupy the same part of the brain. And one expels the other. And they've done a lot of scientific studies on them. But like I said, we'll talk about that at another time. But he's telling you not to be anxious for all these things. God knows you need them. That doesn't mean you don't cut firewood in the summertime to heat yourself in the wintertime. But the reason people were joining the system of Corbin is they were anxious. The Corbin and the Pharisees were they were worried that their neighbor wouldn't be there for them. And they had hopes that the government would be there for them. But the government, able to give you everything you want, is also able to take away everything you have. And of course, that's already taken place. Behold the fowls of the air. Uh, they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not either, toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now he's not saying stop making cloth and stop uh, planting fields. He's not suggesting that. But he's talking about the anxiousness that the God will provide. And eventually you, you may live long enough to see how the best laid plans of mice and men did not provide for you, but the wisdom of God did. Or you could become a part of that by becoming a part of the network that Christ was creating while he was going around establishing this ministry. He was creating a network of people, the same as Abraham was, the same as Moses was, 
because the Israelites are spread out over a vast area because they had to, their 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 animals had to eat in the desert and they couldn't all eat in one place. There was no manna for them. But so the and eventually when they came into Israel they're spread out over long distances. And in actuality Israel the philosophies that came from Moses and Israel were spread all throughout the Mediterranean by the sea kings. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the fields, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So now he's putting things into order. He's not saying don't sow crops. Don't weave cloth. But he's saying, put first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no, no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. He, This is all part of the same thing if we go back to chapter 5 where he's talking about you know, the hypocrites. Hypocrites this, hypocrites that. And uh, we see the same thing in the first part of this chapter. Pure giving versus what the hypocrites do. Pure prayer versus what the hypocrites do. And, you know, public prayer. Well, public religion. And he's talking about all these different uh, approaches that the hypocrites have. They know already by the time these words were spoken by Jesus that he was going to take the kingdom away from the Pharisees. That he, he knows because of John the Baptist, you don't do it by force. You do it by charity. Anybody who read the scriptures know that all the offerings to the altars, and he's talked about the altars already. All the offerings have to be free will offerings. Today, we don't even think of, the, you know, the people, there's a huge amount of people say, well, we don't have tithes anymore and all that stuff. That's Old Testament stuff. Well, taxes are tithes. Taxes are tithes collected at the point of a sword by Levites who do exercise authority one over the other. <laughs> By ministers who do exercise authority one over the other. And we'll see later where Christ talks about, you know, uh, the good servant. The good servant says, oh, well, how much do you owe your master? Well, I owe him this much. Well, how much can you pay? I can only pay, you know, 30%, 20%, 50%, 60%. Whatever you say you can afford, we have to mark down as paid in full. That's the government of God. The government of the world doesn't do that. They're very unforgiving. Forgiveness is not a part of their doctrine. Forgiveness is a part of Christ's doctrine. 
that if you can only pay so much, it's painful. God will see if you're lying. God will see if you're being selfish. And in this universe created by God, this universe of cause and effect, you're not going to get away with anything. Which is why we can go back to chapter 5 and say, well, no vengeance. You know, it has always astounded me that people, you know, like the case in Idaho where a guy stole $600 out of a woman's purse, never stole anything before. He stole that. He was desperate. And as soon as he was caught, he admitted it, said he was sorry. Uh, it already paid all his bills with the $600. He threw the purse away. The woman didn't get the $600 back. She didn't get the purse back. But he was sent to jail for two years and got a record. Had to drop out of college, of course, because he's in jail. And somehow other people think that justice was served. Because he ran up over a $50,000 bill for the taxpayer. Why didn't he just get released and say that you don't have to go to jail as long as you make payments to the woman to get her back her $600, her, her purse, the inconvenience, which according to the Bible would be twice $600 and twice the value of the purse because you stole it. You have to pay that back to her. She can waive that. She can say, well, I got my $600. You don't have to pay me anymore. But then you may have to pay the court that difference. That That's more justice and mercy. The system you've created now is a system of vengeance. Totally opposite of what Christ intended. Totally opposite. Was Christ intended tithes, free will offerings. Caesar intended taxation. The guys vying for kingship in Parthia wanted taxation of the people. Parthia's army that destroyed the army of of uh, Krakus there in 53 BC was 90% of voluntary army. Uh, everybody had their own horse. They had their own bows. They had their own swords. Now there was somebody who supported the extra camels carrying all the extra arrows. <laughs> One of the things that Parthians... You've heard the parting shot. That phrase actually probably comes from the phrase parting, Parthian shot. Uh, because the Parthians would charge on their horses. This is an anecdote to the story. They would charge on their horses, the Roman lines. They'd get close to the Roman lines. They would fire their arrows as they were coming. And then they would turn their horses around and be riding away firing their arrows still because they would reverse their mount on the horse or they would reach around if they were limber enough and fire backwards. And that that was their parting shot, their Parthian shot. And they were very accurate with their arrows. And they would never come into harm's way. They wouldn't lose any men uh, because their, their bows were very long range and they were a moving target. And they could shoot from the horse. They taught their horse a particular gait so they, they would stay steady. All this was a voluntary militia. And they were good. Good enough to annihilate the Roman centurions. And so Romans were afraid of, of Parthians. Uh, 
because they were amazing. But with their wealth came this desire for central power and a social safety net based on force. And that element was existing also in Parthia. But now Matthew is writing to Jews in Parthia as well as to Jews all over the Roman Empire. But if we think that the the connection of Jesus Christ is the rightful king of Parthia and the rightful king in Judea and probably the rightful king also, which we can talk about when we talk about Paul, the rightful uh, kingdom of England and Great Britain. <laughs> All this was going on at the same time. And, uh, uh, and, and of course, we'll see Claudia in in uh, the New Testament and uh, all the these references are sh- showing that there was a movement it was only a small movement in one sense 5% of the Roman Empire maybe 5% of Parthia were becoming Christians but it would make all the difference after everything completely fell apart after the Roman Empire collapsed and Christianity was the victor True Christianity was the victor. But then along comes the counterfeit Christianity with Constantine. And then that smolders in society for, you know, until about 1060, 1090. And then again the beast is released. And uh, evil begins to spread its influence throughout the world. And now we're coming to another climax in our own time. And there will be another time of chaos. And you want to be a part of the righteous mammon. Part of the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You want to understand how a pure republic actually works. And that's a process. Which is why Jesus starts off with seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so that's what we have to do is seek that kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because the modern false religion with all its ideologies and its emotion and its cathedrals and its churches and its songs and uh, its packages has allowed you to be entangled again in the yoke of bondage through the perpetual covetous practices where you desire benefits through men who exercise authority, where you think it's okay to take a bite out of your neighbor as long as you use the government's teeth to do it. And this has entangled you again in the yoke of bondage. Uh, and, and it's done this through the systems of social welfare, the social safety net, of the fathers of the earth and of the world. That Christ was preaching a social safety net based on faith, hope, and charity. And with that becomes an awakening to a spiritual reality that you have no control over. You will not even know it existed, but it will offer you protection. Until then, you may be accident prone. <laughs> You you may uh, uh, have health issues. You you may be uh, robbed. Uh, I I tell you stories about when I was that close to being robbed, but God showed me what was about to take place. I mean, it was just phenomenal. 
I didn't understand what was going on. But because he showed me, uh, I was protected. And But uh, the fact is, is, you know, I believe the only reason I knew that I was protected and that, that I was made aware of what was about to come by is so that God showed me how this works. So that I could tell you that if you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the lilies of the field don't have the protection that you will have. The, 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 the grasses, the, what was all the, the different things that he was talking about that, that are the sparrows, uh, you know, sparrows die every day. They're not always protected. They come, they go. Uh, but the reality is that God has a protection waiting for you. But you have to stop going after the ideologies of false religion that has delivered you into bondage and entangles you again in that yoke and taken so that you own nothing. They'll, they'll have you eating bugs next, just like they want you to think that John the Baptist was eating locusts. Uh, not that you couldn't eat locusts, you could if you had to, but if you're actually following the Holy Spirit, you probably won't have to eat bugs. And you won't eat all the other things that they're putting in your food. You'll have a different source of food, a different network. You know, which is why we talk about community supported agriculture and all these things, but you need that network of people bound by faith, hope and charity who walk in faith. Faith in the way of Christ. That love the light of the truth. That realizes that my Jehovah Witness, my Seventh-day Adventist, my Catholic religion, my Baptist religion, my Methodist religion, my Lutheran religion, have all led me back into the bondage of Egypt. But it isn't the bondage of Egypt. It's the darkness. That's why he talks about if you deny one part of the truth established by Christ, preached by Christ, the doctrine of Christ, the whole body is dark. You know, the whole, you're filled with the presence of evil will guide you and control you and manipulate you. You need to turn around, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And and build that treasury in the kingdom of God. Until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.